Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud, Friday edition with Nurse Michelle on AmericaOutloud.news. Today we're going to be talking to a nurse that has a very interesting story to tell. And this particular nurse has a history of being in um, psychiatry in the, in the nursing field of the psych world. And also has a background in computer science. And he is going to be exposing something to us about realities that the patient isn't aware of that behind the scenes, how data is being gathered and what is being done with it, how accurate it is and um, what some flaws of that system for data gathering is. But before we get started today, I want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to reach out to any guests that we have or share your own experiences, or you just have questions for the nurses, be sure to send us an email directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle. And that will sometimes mean just sharing a podcast that you've heard here on Nurses Out Loud with somebody that you think maybe will not even agree with it. But we want you to help find your own voice in the fight. And But until you do find your own voice, we will continue to be that voice for you. So today I have Nurse David Wayne, and he is going to start by telling us a story about what he experienced because all of us found each other because of what happened in 2020 and 2021. We would all not know each other if it were not for the reality of what happened in 2020. So that's the first reason why we have a reason to know each other. The second reason is we, I heard him speaking on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation on a night that uh, Steve Kirsch was having about 15 nurses on and myself and nurse Jody and nurse Kimberly were three of those nurses. And there were um, 10 or 12 others. The show went for four hours. And as soon as I heard David's testimony, I'm like, Oh my goodness, I've got to get him onto the nurses out loud podcast so that we can all hear what he has to say, because all of you need to hear it. And I know you're going to want to share this information. So welcome to Nurses Out Loud today, David. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for that introduction and for platforming people who are trying to fight the good fight and speak truth to power. Uh, it's very valuable and I greatly appreciate it. Yes, your voice was powerful that night when I heard your testimony and I thought this just has to get out. I'd love to start with you telling them first a little bit about your um, medical, your nursing history, what you did, and how 2020 affected your life when the mandates came along. 
Sure. So I did not foresee myself becoming a psychiatric nurse when I started nursing school. I thought I was going to be a flight nurse or I thought I was going to be in the emergency room. And that's because I got into nursing as a first responder and then as an EMT. And uh, my senior year, I was placed in my clinical on the psych unit. Nobody else wanted that assignment. And I got placed there and just had an amazing experience. It really clicked. Uh Patients were amazing. My coworkers were amazing. So that's the area of nursing that I went into when I graduated from nursing school back in 2012 and had a, a interesting arc to my career there. I took on every responsibility I could, uh, did every extracurricular. I joined committees. I chaired committees. I became a charge nurse. Um, I, I really excelled on my unit. To the point that in 2017, I won our hospital's Excellence in Nursing Leadership Award. And that was a highlight. And um, shortly after that, we had some annual reviews where our, uh, our nurse manager was asking everyone on the unit, hey, do you want to give a shout out to any of your coworkers, just somebody who's doing an amazing job? And after she had talked to everyone, she pulled me aside and said, Dave, I, I want you to know that your name got brought up more than anyone else's and it wasn't even close. And that was that was uh, definitely a pinnacle for me. That was um, that was kind of the best moment in my of my nursing career to hear about how so many of my coworkers appreciated the job that I was doing on the unit at that time. And it's it came at an interesting moment, too, because it was a time in my career where I was starting to become more and more skeptical and cynical about the drugs that we were giving to patients every day. Um, prior to nursing school, I worked in a Walgreens pharmacy and I would hear people kind of talk in a derogatory manner about big pharma. And it always felt very conspiratorial to me. I always thought, you know, there is no way that these companies are that bad if they were if they were that bad, there would be whistleblowers and there would be people going to prison. And it just um, sounded like conspiracy theory stuff to me. Um, over the course in my career in healthcare, though, between the pharmacy and then in nursing, I kept uh, hearing scandal after scandal. And when you when you really dug into the lawsuits and you, and you saw what Big Pharma was up to, it was absolutely alarming. And it was regarding meds that we were giving patients on a daily basis on my unit. Um, so OxyContin is one that a lot of people know about already. Uh, and so I won't go into any detail on that one, but Vioxx was another one. Vioxx was on the market from 1999 to 2004. Uh, and as it turns out, we found out years later, years after it was pulled off the market, that Merck knew Vioxx had cardiac side effects uh, but they also knew that their profits were going to be amazing. So they uh, lied and obfuscated for as long as they could to keep it on the market to the tune of roughly 55,000 deaths is, is what the estimate is. Um, and over the course of time that they kept it on the market, they went out and absolutely smeared the doctors who were noticing that Vioxx was killing people. They went after them where they worked. They got them demoted. They Internally, they had a, a list of doctors to discredit and neutralize. They would send each other emails that said things along the lines of, we're going to destroy them where they live. And Whoa. we only found out about all this 
years and years and years later from the from the class action lawsuits, um, I started to take that lens and apply it to the drugs that we were giving to patients on the psych unit. An article that was very influential to me was The Emperor's New Drugs. This was by Irving Kirsch. It came out in 2004, and he also turned it into a book. He was a Harvard psychiatrist who was very pro-SSRI back in the 1990s. He wrote articles about it. He was passionate about how good they were. He had a graduate student propose a paper idea to him where they would look at various SSRIs and compare their efficacy to placebo. The first roadblock they ran into was that they had to use FOIA requests to actually get the clinical trial data, which that's a red flag. Like if you are a patient taking this drug or you're a doctor prescribing this drug, you should have a right to review the studies that were submitted to the FDA to get it approved and on the market. Uh, so they did that study and it was just on a couple on a couple of the drugs and they were very surprised by the results that the efficacy of the SSRIs was basically negligible compared to placebo. Not that they weren't effective, just that they weren't more effective than placebo. So intrigued, they decided to file more FOIAs and they got the clinical trial data for every single SSRI that was on the market at that point and did a meta-analysis that showed the same thing. It showed that the SSRIs on the market are not more effective than placebo. And um, that wow. was that was mind-blowing to me. Uh, it was mind-blowing to me that uh, he did all that work back in 2004. I graduated nursing school in 2012. I worked on a psych unit for years, and I had never heard any of that. I actually went back and uh, found my old psychiatric mental health nursing textbook and uh, went to the chapter about depression and SSRIs that covered that sort of thing. And it and it says in there, your depression is caused by a chemical imbalance of your serotonergic system that is corrected by SSRIs that you'll probably have to be on for the rest of your life. And wow. there's no data to support that claim. That claim is marketing. That claim is not science. Uh, it has been um, thoroughly, thoroughly debunked, but it's still what was in my nursing textbook. And even more disturbingly, uh, it's what our hospital patient education handout said. Our patient education handout said the same thing. Your depression is caused by a chemical imbalance that's going to be fixed by medications that you'll need to be on for the rest of your life. And uh, just with a little bit of clicking around, I discovered that the vendor for our hospital's patient education handouts was no other than Merck. So we are trusting uh, corporations that have been convicted of fraud and racketeering over and over again, uh, convicted of, of lying. Uh, we're trusting them to write our patient education materials. Uh, I yeah. found it very disturbing and it was, and it was really starting to uh, distress me as a nurse because it was yanking the rug out from under me. I was starting to feel like uh, I knew less five, six, seven years into my career than I did when I first graduated nursing school because I was starting to question everything that I had been taught. Uh, wow, what a progression and what a what a similar testimony to so many of the medical professionals that are now part of the free, medical freedom movement. This, a similar testimony 
I've also heard that the textbooks in medical schools and nursing schools are actually being written. The words are being said, written by the pharmaceutical companies. So the question is, is how is that traceable to find out what part do they actually play? Does every um, medical book that's being published have somebody on the writing committee, somebody on the board that is actually literally provable to be connected to the um pharmaceutical complex, you know, I don't know if it's actually something that could be investigated by somebody who's curious to do that, but it has been said. So it'd be, it'd be great to see if it could be written and proven. Yeah, uh, there's really no limit to the scope of the problem. Uh, you know, pharma kind of got cracked down on for directly marketing to doctors back in the day. And so they started to uh, take on uh, much more subversive ways of marketing their materials. So, um, you know, they are on boards at mainstream media outlets. Uh, they are the number one lobbyer of our politicians in Washington. Uh, they spend more on lobbying than any other industry. Uh, they they control most of the medical journals. They fund most of the research. They're the ones in charge of the, uh, you know, placebo-controlled clinical trials. They, they have their hand in absolutely everything. And what um, one of the lessons of the Vioxx scandal um, for me was it doesn't take a, an entire company of thousands of people to cause one of these conspiracies to happen. Uh, in the case of Merck, I'm sure that there are plenty of wonderful scientists and researchers and people who work in the marketing department who want to do good in the world who work at all of these companies. But what happened with Vioxx is it just took a couple in leadership positions to make those decisions that ended up leading to the deaths of tens of thousands of people. And we know their names, we know what they did, we know that they concealed the myocardial endpoint data from the FDA when they submitted their uh, internal um, meta-analysis for Vioxx. Uh, we have their emails where they, where they discussed doing it, and we know that they faced no consequences. Uh, Merck got to keep over half their profits, despite what they did. Uh, nobody went to prison. In fact, their CEO, he went on to, uh, he serves today on a board at Harvard. Uh, their vice president of clinical research, uh, she's the director of another pharmaceutical company now. And their motto is great people hire great people. She She's literally uh, can be directly tied to the deaths of, of about 55,000 people, uh, what? her actions, choices, choices that she made. And, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anyone's career. It sounds like you could actually be an investigative journalist also, David. It sounds like you've been busy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been busy. Well, being, being, a, an unemployed nurse after being, uh, fired after a vaccine mandate, that'll, that'll free up some time for you. But yeah, let um, me, let me say something about that. So here we have this well-esteemed, excellent employee that everybody who works with you is voting for you to be this amazing employee and along comes 2020. So how does things turn for you there? So, uh, it, it was, it, it was quite the turn. I, uh, 
was planning to use my position of esteem on my psychiatric unit to try and at least change things in my neck of the woods. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to root out corruption at the FDA or do anything about big pharma, but I thought, hey, at least on my unit, I'm respected. I'm uh, on various committees. I, I can maybe make a change around here. We can do a better job of providing informed consent to our patients regarding these medications and making staff more aware uh, about the potentials of these medications, especially the sexual side effects and especially uh, protracted withdrawal. Uh, we had acute withdrawal on our radar, but very few people um, knew anything about things like protracted SSRI withdrawal or protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal. We ju It just wasn't it just wasn't part of what we were taught either in nursing school or on the unit. It was not on our radar. And after I learned about it, I could look back on all these patients for years and years that were experiencing these incredibly distressing symptoms that nobody was connecting to the fact that they were in uh, post-acute withdrawal. And uh, I, I felt absolutely awful that that uh you know we weren't there to validate them and educate them and help them through that instead we would slap labels on them like somatic or dramatic affect or attention seeking or, or that sort of thing because um because we didn't understand uh but there was also intentionality there because uh you know our our the materials that we learn from and the materials that we provide our patients to learn from were written by companies that informed consent can be a threat to their bottom line. And they've proven themselves over and over and over to always prioritize profits over outcomes. So I was in a good position to change that and was working on doing so when COVID came along. Obviously, COVID changed everything. Uh, all my projects got put on the back burner. And it was terrifying to see the, um, you know, news coming out of Italy and then the news coming out of New York and kind of waiting to see how it how it shaped up in our hospital. Uh, it arrived in Wisconsin and it wasn't great, but it wasn't anything like what we saw happening in in New York or Italy. Um, then the uh, the vaccines yeah. came out. Yeah. How did the um, psychiatric hospital um, situations respond to COVID inside your units? Because you have patients that were in there that are for mental health disorders. It's not like you can just send them home. What, how did the, was there anything unique that would stand out? Do you just want to tell us about for the sake of history to know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it actually worked out okay for us because we had a, a new building that had been built uh, just about, um, about seven years before that, that had a very small uh, medical psych wing that hadn't been opened yet. So when we would get COVID positive psych patients, we would isolate them in that area of the building to be able to protect the other patients. The psych unit is much more of a community setting than other hospital units. You have people going to groups together, people eating meals together. So it's an absolute infection control nightmare. Uh, but we were able to handle it by having by having a, a smaller unit where we could isolate COVID positive patients. So that that part of it worked out worked out well for us. 
Yeah. So they probably put the patients down there with the psychiatric um, staff. And then they also had to bring in the COVID staff to help care for them. They had to have a dual care going on at the same time, I guess. Well, no, we actually had uh, uh, most of our psych patients that ended up being COVID positive were uh, completely asymptomatic. Um, so that that was one of the first things that um, started to kind of uh, uh, ping as a red flag for me was that we were seeing these uh, completely asymptomatic patients on the psych unit who happened to test positive for COVID that were being counted as as COVID hospitalizations. And it really made me start to question the numbers that I would see on the on the TV at night about how many COVID hospitalizations there were. Interesting how those that are firsthand witnesses tend to know things. Okay, so what happened when the uh, vaccine started to roll out for you all? So uh, I, you know, I, I obviously am very cynical about big pharma. So at that point, I was uh, excited, but uh, also kind of leery, you know, mRNA technology sounded really cool to me, like, oh, this, this really sounds like it could be the wave of the future. But it's also um, something brand new, and I'm going to take a wait and see approach. I, I want to see more data. I want to see more evidence. And so uh, so I did not get vaccinated when it was offered to me in December of 2020. Um, but a whole lot of my coworkers did. And um, one of the one of the things about nurses is they are overwhelmingly female and they work in a healthcare setting, they're not shy about talking about bodily functions and processes. And everybody was talking about menstrual cycle changes. Everybody noticed it. And they were not only talking about it to each other at work, they were also talking about it on social media. And then all of a sudden, all of that got scrubbed off of social media. And that was, uh, that was, kind of an alarm bell for for me too like oh we're not allowed to we're not allowed to talk about this now um staff brought that up at a uh town hall at my hospital they asked hospital leadership uh you know hey should we be should we be worried about uh reproductive health with with these vaccines and what was ironic about it was this is you know uh this is when our hospitals starting to roll out its diversity, equity, and inclusion program. And so they're kind of a hospital leadership is, is um, lecturing us about uh, respecting minority voices and women's voices. And so this is female staff asking the, um, you know, the male leadership of the hospital about reproductive health. And he essentially implied that they were conspiracy theorists and that they need to probably get their news from, from different sources. And, uh, what that, that, turnaround? Haven't we seen everything like this illogical turnaround? You would, th the fact that we don't even know what a woman is anymore has happened since 2020 as well. So what a profound notice that you just called right there, that here's this male leadership um, denouncing anything about female experiences and shutting that down. What a, what a uh, backwards thing to say. Yeah, it was wild too. You know, they were telling us uh, we have to we have to roll out this diversity, equity, and inclusion program because our minority patients have worse outcomes than than our other patients. And uh, so my question my question was, um, if that's true, then 
are we not in violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act that says, you know, we're not allowed to discriminate? And do we need to change our website's notice of non-discrimination? The website says we do not discriminate based on uh, age, race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, culture, etc. But you're telling us we have to do this diversity program because we are discriminating based off of age and race and sex and sexual orientation, etc. So how do you how do you reconcile this? I actually submitted that to uh, one of the um, town halls and the CEO basically said, I stand by what's on our website, which is, you know, completely contradicted uh, his words in his presentation about why we have to uh, roll out this diversity, equity and inclusion program. So, no, you, you couldn't reconcile any of it logically. It was it was just overtly self-contradictory. So how does this end for you? I mean, how does it end up that you're you're well read, you're well favored, you're say you're making an educated decision like you've done your entire life? It seems like a no brainer that you get to choose. When did your choice turn into a problem? Uh, well, it turned in, into a problem in the uh, vaccine mandate season, you know, in the fall of 2021, and some of the hardest shifts I ever worked on the psych unit were around the issue of informed consent. Does this person have the right to refuse having a needle put into their body against their will? Uh, and the fact that my hospital would take that away from staff was just absolutely deplorable to me. And it wasn't just that uh, they came out with the vaccine mandate. There was an argument to be made that they had to mandate the vaccine because CMS was ordering them to in order to re still receive CMS payments, which is basically threatening them with bankruptcy. But the way they chose to implement it was just deplorable. They did not want to recognize natural immunity, even when uh, at that point the evidence supporting <laughs> supporting natural immunity was overwhelming. And I mean, prior to COVID, natural immunity was known to be superior to any vaccine immunity. So um, the way that they handled medical exemptions was also deplorable. They would not let their own doctors determine a person's medical exemption. If, if somebody who was staffed there wanted a medical exemption from a COVID vaccine, it would end up filtering up to, it was either hospital leadership or human resources. We never even found out who it would go to, but it wasn't that person's doctor, which is just an overt violation of that person's privacy. How does somebody in hospital leadership or HR get to determine the, uh, the, your, you know, your medical exemption to, to something like that, like that, yeah. that's they're, not right. They're HR, they're not medical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so uh, did there you were get COVID? did you get COVID during 2021 before that mandate came out? Well, that's another funny thing. I'd never even been tested for COVID at that point. Staffing was so tight that they were just uh, overtly not they were going to more effort to not test staff and to make sure people weren't getting tested for COVID than they were to test people because they didn't want people to have to be off for, you know, uh, however many days the policy was at that point after they after they tested positive staffing was staffing was so tight they they weren't testing hospital staff so um interesting i don't believe i had had covid at that point but it wasn't because i had ever been tested for it so so when that man um, came down you said no how did they treat you well so uh 
there, there was a lot of bullying going on throughout the hospital. And what the people who were opposed to the mandate started uh, trying to do was organize and fight back and make the public aware that uh, the things that they were hearing and seeing on the news about COVID was not was not true at the patient at the patient bedside. And, uh, you know, somebody might say easy for you to say working on the working on the psych unit, but uh, I, I had friends throughout the hospital and 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 on the COVID unit and um, new providers throughout the hospital as well and and was hearing the was hearing the same thing for them. So we uh, we tried to turn whistleblower. We actually went to the local media. We had uh, um, videos and photos and other and other evidence about how uh, the mandate was hurting staffing. We had staff quitting in droves, such as from uh, such as from the kitchen, such as from laundry. Uh, the hospital was getting absolutely filthy. There were um, huge piles of laundry uh, forming in the laundry building, just sitting there festering for days. Uh, you know, bed sheets from the hospital. The, these things are are soaked in urine and feces and and vomit and blood, and they're and they're sitting there rotting because uh, so many of the uh, laundry staff ended up ended up quitting. Um, the DEI I, people, the people they were trying to be protecting, the, the diverse yeah, uh, people possibly um, that are making lesser wages, lesser income, maybe possibly falling into that category and they're leaving because they don't feel safe in their work environment. Yeah, it, the, the CEO had actually been uh, giving himself yearly raises. And that year, 2021, he lowered the starting wages of the custodial staff at the hospital. So... <laughs> They could make eight dollars an hour more working at the local gas station Amazing. than they could cleaning a hospital during a pandemic. Yeah, and I'm and somebody that. might say like, "Well, the hospitals were losing money hand over fist at this point in time." They were, they were not. They were making bank from their uh, CMS bonus payments for people being hospitalized for COVID, for people being ventilated, for people being given remdesivir. They were, they were making um, enormous profits at this point in time. It's, it was not about, it was not about profits. So. Um, so you're you're very awake. You know what's going on. You see it happening, and you're not going to take that vaccine. So you say, what how, do they? You said you got fired. Did they? Was it over that specifically? It, yes, I, I was uh, terminated uh, via the uh, uh, vaccine mandate because I uh, refused to uh, refused to play that game. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. Okay, so when we come back from the break, we are going to pick up um, where he's got some serious inside information of data that he came aware of that everybody needs to hear about. But before we go, don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate including ASEA, Redox, Energy, Mind, and Mood, Powdered Dietary Supplement Performance Packs. And the Variety Pack has 10 each, and it's Redox, Energy, Mind, and Mood. You can purchase them separately or, you know, just a whole pack of just the mood if that's what you would like. Um, use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of the break. Stay with us. It's time and this is what. 
Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud. I'm here with Nurse David Wayne. And when we were finishing up on the first half, he was telling us about the vaccine mandate coming down to his hospital in the psychiatric world. And um, something I wanted to make a note of is that when you know that the largest mass exodus of nurses happened in 2021 and 2022, do not let anyone deceive you into believing it had to do with normal issues with nursing shortages. This was not a normal situation. This was 100% a discrimination episode that happened where people either left against their will, left their job, left the things that they loved doing. Here David was this star employee that even his own staff recognized, the people he worked with recognized that he was one of the best employees that they had worked with, that they all voted for him. And here, even though this person is so accomplished and has so much good work ethic, it did not keep him there. So the the hospital lost a valuable employee, their most valued employee in that department, by this mandate. 
And I want him to tell, he told me a little bit about how, how nasty it was with the um, removal of him. So give us a little brief on that before we talk about the electronic medical record. Sure. Yeah. No, it, it was all it was all very surreal. Uh, first of all, they didn't even notify my immediate manager that I was uh, going to be terminated. She found out from me less than two weeks before it happened. And she was, of course, in charge of making sure the unit is safely staffed and all that sort of thing. So they had a, a person from Human Resources come down that I had never met before. And, and she was there and they uh, made my uh, boss who had once been my preceptor, uh, fire me. And it was, uh, it was awful for both of us. Then the hospital in the newspaper said that, you know, they only had to terminate about 1% of their staff. And so no big deal. And we got rid of the anti-science people and it was just, um, uh, it was just overtly misleading. It wasn't technically a lie, uh, but they lost so many staff prior to termination to the point where they had to call in a, a federal DMAT team, a disaster medical assistance team. Um, usually those respond to tornadoes and hurricanes, and here they were helping my hospital with staffing. The irony, of course, is that many of them were unvaccinated. Uh, they weren't able to be there for longer than a month or two. And when they left, they called in the Wisconsin National Guard to help with staffing. And of course, some of them were also unvaccinated and they're there to help with the staff that were, you know, because of all the staff that they lost to their vaccine mandate. Um, it, it was it was clownish. We had taken screenshots of, of the hospital's job postings and we brought them to the local media to show them this is how many staff they lost to the mandate. We have video of the hospital CEO saying, yes, we are going to have to reduce hospital capacity. Yes, we are going to have to cut services to the community. They did things like cancel heart valve replacements, that sort of thing. Um, none of that was ever made public, though. Our our air quotes, local paper was actually owned by a big corporation that uh, invested billions of dollars in COVID vaccines. So they had absolutely no interest in covering what we were saying. In, in, uh, and anybody who tried to turn whistleblower, it just went, it just didn't go anywhere. Uh, I didn't fully appreciate at the time that our local media was not actually local, that it was actually this uh, uh, national entity with billions of dollars invested in, in the vaccine. So when we were trying to whistleblow, they were putting out articles like how to help your child overcome a fear of needles. Uh, that's that's what they were putting in our local paper instead of instead of um, speaking to the nurses and, and other people who were trying to uh, shine a light on the situation. If you're not blown away with the amount of stuff that David actually tried to impact and change and expose and got data on and uh, like an investig best investigative journalism you've heard in a while, it doesn't stop there, people. This man who has a computer science background actually was also on a committee in his hospital that's called the Software Committee. And he's going to tell us about that because there is information that he knows that's a fact because he was aware of the data on on the hospital record. So why don't you tell us about that and tell us what this epic um, medical record system is? 
Sure. So yeah, I, I had a uh, minor in computer science way back in the day and never really used that much professionally, but but I've always had that kind of a nerdy aspect to my uh, background and interests. So I was on my hospital's software and technology committee. I would, I would have uh, lots of opportunities to kind of look under the hood with Epic. And uh, there was an issue that was brought to my attention from our COVID unit staff. What they were noticing is that uh, these patients would come in from local nursing homes or from the VA, and uh, they would have been vaccinated at the VA or at the nursing home, but their vaccination status in Epic was showing up as unvaccinated. And that sent me down a, a rabbit hole to try and figure out what was what was going on with that. And essentially there was an issue where uh, the CDC and Epic um, did not have a category for unknown in terms of people's vaccination status. You were either proven to be vaccinated or you were considered unvaccinated. There was no nuance in their ability to to gather gather data. It was it was essentially built right into the software. And why that's such an important issue is because our healthcare system in the United States is incredibly fragmented. So just in my small town, there are 50 different places that you can get a COVID vaccine. You can go to Walmart, you can go to Target, you can um, go to a clinic, you can go to the county, you can go to one of two different hospitals. And these systems do not talk to each other. They, uh, in theory, should communicate to the state vaccine registry and then communicate back down to the hospital. But any break in that chain uh, would mean that people's vaccination status is being miscounted. So for example, my hospital uh, is in Wisconsin, but borders Iowa and Minnesota. So we would have a large percentage of our patients come to the hospital from Iowa and Minnesota. States, hospitals do not cross state lines regarding their vaccine registries. Wisconsin's registry doesn't talk to Iowa, doesn't talk to Minnesota. So people coming in from out of state would often be counted as unvaccinated because they were vaccinated in another state. Um, and uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to estimate the scope of that problem, uh, but it was a known problem by Epic and it was a known problem by CDC. They're, the CDC has meeting minutes up from 2021 where they talk about how balkanized our system is and how none of these systems talk to each other. And it's really hard to pin down what's going on. And Epic themselves acknowledged this problem as well. They uh, had one of their leadership give an interview in 2021 when they were talking about rolling out uh, digital COVID vaccine passports where they talked about how uh, this, this problem preceded COVID by years and years that all these states have, have different vaccine registries and they're uh, using different um, data sets and, and none of these systems share well, none of these systems uh, often talk to each other uh, at all. So uh, it, created a, it created a huge problem with our data. And I, I wanna set the stage for why it is so important uh, that this problem, um, that people know it exists uh, and that um, and that we do better in the future. When Pfizer did their clinical trials, they had the opportunity to collect prospective data. Prospective data is much better than retrospective data. In prospective data, you're looking for it. So 
What Pfizer did not do is they did not do autopsies on people who died in the clinical trial. They did not take a troponin or an EKG on people after vaccination. They did not test people who were symptomatic for COVID. Uh, and so after the vaccines um, uh, went public, they vaccinated their control group. And that left us with only retrospective uh, ways to measure vaccine safety and efficacy. You can't do an accurate retrospective study if you don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. If you have a system where the default is unvaccinated until proven otherwise, and that system is known to grossly miscount who's vaccinated and who's not, you have a huge problem. You cannot study vaccine safety. You cannot study vaccine efficacy. There's going to be an enormous bias that all goes in one direction. And that direction is the safe and effective narrative. So when you compare the COVID data in the US to the rest of the world, we are a wild outlier in terms of how safe and effective the vaccines are. There is no prospective study that um, that undermines the ones that have been done in other parts of the world where they actually take people's troponin after vaccination. They find a, a rate of subclinical myocarditis of about one or 2%. We can't refute that here because we didn't do that in the clinical trials. We haven't done that study. We only rely on uh, sources of data like EPIC for data like that. So when EPIC, they actually did a myocarditis study and what they found was that uh, the baseline rate of myocarditis in 2018, they compared it to uh, unvaccinated people and vaccinated people after getting COVID. And miraculously, if you got the COVID vaccine, your rate of myocarditis according to EPIC is lower than the 2018 baseline. Instead of looking at that and saying like, wow, our data must be garbage, they, they, they put it out there and it's cited hundreds of times and has thousands and thousands of views that like, oh, look how safe these vaccines are according to the biggest vendor of uh, hospital software in the country. Um, it's, it's, it's astounding. It's just astounding. And the reason why myocarditis would look in Epic like it's hardly even there, lower, in fact, than it was in 2018. The reason Epic would be expressing that is because the data is so inaccurate because we've got, um, like you said, it's saying that you're unvaccinated until proven otherwise. And we know that there's not a communication between the states. We know that people move in and out of states. We know there was a mass migration and even in 2021. People like never before had moved out of their states and made changes because apparently there was a lot of blue state exodus going on into red states because people wanted their freedoms back. So even vaccination statuses leaving other states were affecting um, new states getting data that wasn't being kept up is what you're telling us, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, when when our CEO announced that he was going to be firing unvaccinated staff, he justified it by quoting a study out of California, Los Angeles County, and the study itself, in its limitations, acknowledged that uh, there were there were data issues. And um, Epic themselves uh, uh, has acknowledged that well, California is a huge state. When they did the mass vaccine rollout in California, the the state vaccine registry was constantly crashing. It, it was it was going down constantly. So they had uh, possibly the worst data of of any state in the country in terms of knowing 
who's actually uh, uh, vaccinated and who's and who's not. But that's that's the study that they use to justify the termination of unvaccinated staff, because, of course, um, the less accurate the data is, the, the bias pushes it towards safe and effective. Well, the thing that a lot of the American public probably is not aware of is when people say, oh, well, there's studies that show, there's trials that show, the average person does not know the difference between a gold standard study that the medical community might value versus just a study that the medical community recognizes isn't double-blinded or whatever. The average person, to graduate high school, you didn't have to learn that. The average college student doesn't even have to take statistics, so they're not going to be studying trials. I, it, there, no doubt, as an American citizen, it is worth it to understand something about how to gauge studies and how accurate they are and how to know when a doctor says you should take this pill that it actually is something that has been proven to be effective. We're, we're walking in dangerous times because you know the, the majority of people are literally counting on the white coat people's words to be honest with them. And the white coat people do not even have the, the right facts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of what was so distressing about this situation. Uh, back in mid 2021, when, um, you know, the vaccines had been out for a while, and when there was a lot of talk about ivermectin and that sort of thing, I was actually getting really hopeful because the, uh, um, uh, the frauds were getting so overt I was expecting all my colleagues in healthcare to start waking up because we've seen all these plays before. The the, the misinformation playbook that pharma plays, it, it goes back decades and decades. It goes back to big tobacco and none of, none of it was original. Everything that we were seeing had been done before. Yes, it was on a larger scale, but I was expecting healthcare workers to wake up in mass because it was so obvious it was so obvious and it and it i i don't care what unit you work on if if you um if you work in the gi lab you should probably know about zantac and the things that uh glaxo the uh, things that glaxo did regarding that if you work in psychiatry there's no shortage of medication scandals uh if you if you work in cardiology there's there's viox there's i mean everybody has a reason to know that drugs aren't always safe yeah, exactly. Not not just that they aren't always safe, but that their manufacturers will stop at nothing to turn a profit. But and uh, you've been told your whole life that, and all through your medical education, vaccines save lives. And the basic thing that they only teach uh, medical professionals is that it sets up the immune system to fight off that disease. And that's the basics of it. And you move on to the next subject in med school. You 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 have a mass of people that have been indoctrinated to believe that it's a vaccine, so it must be safe. Um, but now we're we're waking up. So did the ivermectin thing actually do what you thought it was going to do? No. So uh, so we had staff at my hospital who were asking leadership questions about ivermectin in monthly town halls that they were that they were hosting, and uh, I I thought it might start to um, um, kind of turn the tide because the situation was so overt about what was what was going on. There was uh, something that really. Um, uh, stood out to me with the FLCCC and why I really began to trust them is because there was a huge ivermectin study out of Egypt by El Ghazar with something like 800 participants, and it was proven to be fraudulent. And FLCCC immediately removed it from their ongoing meta-analysis, and it dropped the efficacy of ivermectin 
pretty significantly, something like 10%. Uh, it, they still believed it was efficacious, but I gave them credit for immediately adjusting their uh, their take on it according to that fraud. And you contract that with all the uh, big studies that were being cited as proving that ivermectin doesn't work. And they were so obviously designed to fail and they were all clearly could be tied to uh, directly to vaccine manufacturers and um, these companies and entities with a direct financial conflict of interest. Like, A, you should read this study with skepticism just based off of the funding. But B, they were doing things like grossly underdosing people, starting treatment late, not uh, accommodating for their weight, telling them to take it on an empty stomach instead of taking it with food, even though that would make it less absorbed, changing trial endpoints midway through the trial. Like it could not be more obvious that the people conducting those trials believed ivermectin works. If they thought it didn't work, they wouldn't have gone to such incredible lengths to try and prove that it didn't. Um, so that's, that's, that's my take on ivermectin. I'm not going to say whether or not I know it works, but I know that the people who funded the studies saying it doesn't work, they think it works. Yeah. The reality is, is we know that there are more people out there than we realize who went home to their spouses or family members saying, I'm having a conflict of interest at work. I'm having issues. I'm having to write things. And we don't even know their stories yet. They're not even, we don't even know how many are going to start coming out because the guilt is going to get to them or the data is, or, the, or people are going to start coming for them. I mean, if, if we, um, David is now working within legal ways to help people. I'm not sure exactly what you're doing with the lawyer you're working with, but but you are now aware of the attempt to try and expose the dark side of what's gone on. So how much of that is involving with what went down with COVID? Uh, um, it's, it has a lot to do with um, hospital protocols and and the damage that, uh, that those did to people uh, throughout. Uh, we're looking at cases from Wisconsin, but it, it's uh, definitely not unique to Wisconsin. Oh, no, we've definitely heard that way. Every every state in the whole country, the testimonies on Nurses Out Loud are unbelievable of what people have testified to what they experienced. I was a COVID unit patient myself and I have my own firsthand testimony to know what happened. So when it comes to this, what is the solution that anybody working in a hospital right now that has anything to do with Epic could be doing some undercover work and getting information out there? What would you recommend for somebody who has access to Epic who may hear this? Oh, good question. Uh, I don't know. Um, Epic to this day uh, requires you to be vaccinated to work there. You can go on their job postings and all of them. St they still have a, a strict what? vaccine mandate to uh, even work there. So, um, well, we know many people are vaccine injured and regret that they got the vaccine. So if you're out there and are among that population, you are you stand an opportunity to gather information. But the, the information is flawed anyways. We know that it's a out antiquated system. But what could they be looking for in their own cities? Um, so if they have a, a, a patient, um, you know, they can make sure that their vaccination status is captured accurately in Epic. Uh, usually that involves having to do a, a manual query from the uh, vaccinations tab or the vaccinations activity. Um, but yeah, just just make sure that uh, make sure that um, the patients you see, it's it's accurately captured. There was actually a hospital system down in Kansas and Missouri that noticed this problem. They were sending out uh, notices to their patients like, hey, we see you haven't gotten a COVID vaccine. Why don't you come in and get it? And 
they had all these people respond that they were already vaccinated. So they did an internal audit of their patients to uh, look at how many of them were accurately counted as vaccinated versus not. And they found 44% of their patients uh, in Epic who were counted as unvaccinated were actually vaccinated. Um, Unbelievable. I mean, that's that's an incredible number. And it might not be fair to apply that to the entire country. It might be different in some states like California. Uh, it might be different in hospital systems that don't cross state lines. It might be uh, overall throughout the country. It might be a lot higher than that. It might be a lot lower than that. The point is, it is known that this is an issue. So what is the number? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? Yes. Did you actually become a whistleblower? Did you ever go and become an official whistleblower? Well, uh, all, all the information I have about Epic is public knowledge. It, it's things that uh, they themselves have talked about openly. You know, they were when they were talking about uh, uh, COVID vaccine passports, they were talking about how how bad the data is. The CDC is also aware of how bad the data is. It's in their publicly available meeting minutes. So I've got nothing to whistleblow about. I, I've just, uh, because everything I'm talking about is, is essentially public knowledge. Um, but that kind of just speaks to where's the media been? Where's the press been with issues like this? Like, why is a nurse from Wisconsin screaming into the void about this type of thing when uh, all, all this stuff is is available available publicly? Why isn't it why isn't it being talked about that our COVID data is is such garbage and that the safe and effective narrative has such bias built into all of its support? Yes, I am so thankful for you, David. I think we are definitely having you back. I think we should bring him on for a few other reasons because his testimony has been just so intriguing on and off air. There is, um, we appreciate that you have done what you did. We know that they lost a valuable uh, psychiatric nurse to have had to push you out over vaccines, but we now know that you've been called for a different calling and you are now meant to make sure information is exposed to the world and America especially. And if you're out there as a nurse, uh, take note, this is the star employees that are out there making the difference for our communities and it can be you. Get the information, make sure your patient's notes are very informative and find out about their vaccine status, make sure at least in their medical record that they are documented for what they have had, when they had it, and what brand they had, so that in the event litigation is ever something in their future, you have protected them because you are a patient advocate. And thank you, David, for the advocacy that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Michelle, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. It's time.